you know, I don't want to diminish a, a struggle or a challenge, but, you know, it, it's all about where you fix your focus. And, um, you know, sometimes we come in, you know, hobbling, barely making it. And even as a pastor, I have those days and I have those Wednesdays and I have those Sundays where it's like, oh, God, I need something tonight, God. But we've got to remember he's greater. And um, it's not our problem that moves God. It's our faith. Amen. I said, amen. Okay. just want to make sure you got that one because you're going to need it. God, why don't you see what's happening? Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see what they're doing? He's like, yeah, I see it. And when you get in faith, I'll be moved to do something for it and about it. Amen. Go with me, if you will, to Mark chapter two. We've been talking about this kind of evolved a little bit, talking about a few different ideas from the book of Joshua. We started with Joshua one and saw that God wasn't delivering them out of a challenge. He was actually sending them into a challenge, into a battle into warfare. And uh, we're talking about the Israelites. We're talking about Joshua now, the new leader that God has set apart and talking about moving towards those promises and moving towards the vision and the purpose and the destinies that we know that God has for us. And, you know, it can be applied in, in so many ways. It can be uh, applied generically, uh, generally, specifically in your marriages, in your finances, in your homes. Uh, there's so many different ways that we can apply. And, and this is the thing. If you're not moving towards something, you're moving away from it. Don't don't confuse walking in circles as just remaining idle. Because while you're remaining idle, you're actually taking steps backwards in the wrong direction. And you'll find yourself like the Israelites uh, excluded from the promises of God. Not that he was trying to exclude them, not that he was trying to cut them out and just saying, well, I didn't want to give it to you anyways. He wanted to. Now, I mean, you know, there are things that God wants to do for us, but there's a, a part of us that is required that, that, that we've got to play a role. There's a participation that we have. Sometimes we confuse God's sovereignty with our authority. Sometimes we confuse God's sovereignty. Well, it's just going to happen, whatever, versus our responsibility and our authority and our participation in the process and in the, the plan. I said this a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about our, our vision uh, series. I said that uh, we've got to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to override our plans. But then God told me this. He said, there's some people I can't override their plans because they don't even have any. Many are the plans in a man's heart. But it's my purpose that prevails. He wants you to plan. He wants you to prepare. He wants you to have a vision. He wants you to do something. And many times God can't even step in and do anything because we haven't taken a step to do anything that God's called us to do in any direction. At least do something. I, you know, Paul just blows my mind. He, he just when he was Saul, he was a murderer. He was killing Christians. Yet this is a man marked for God's kingdom and for God's purpose. Why? Because he was zealous, because he was passionate. Maybe about the wrong thing, but God knows how to turn a passion for the wrong thing and make it for the right thing. Use it for his heavenly glory. How many of you, look, we've all in this room, we've been passionate about the wrong thing and now God's using it for the right thing. He's not the only one. 
Saul's not the only one. So God wants us moving. God wants us advancing. God wants his kingdom taking territory, not taking up territory. Are you just taking up space or are you taking space for the kingdom of God? There's an advancement. There's there's a direction to this thing. And so God's moving his Israelites from Egypt through the wilderness and into the promised land. And so we've been looking at just some different principles. But the the main thing that we've kind of been cutting at the core at is that before God wants to do a work externally, he wants to do a work internally. This has kind of been the main thrust uh, of, of the last few Wednesdays is that that more so God isn't trying to change our situation as much as he's changing our perspective of the situation. God isn't so much trying to just swoop down and just, you know, destroy all our victors or all our enemies and make us victors. And, and, and those, those things are promised to us. But there is a level of work that God wants to do on the inside because miracles are what God does without touching the inside of you. That's what the wilderness was. God can cause water to come out of a rock and he cause he can cause a red sea to part. No participate. We don't even have to have faith. We can be grumbling and complaining up to the moment and out of God's grace and out of God's mercy, we'll see him move. But the, the movement is designed to say he did it before. He'll do it again. But the Israelites did not allow the work that God did on the outside to change them on the inside. And their their past was greater than their future. So much so that they desired it. They had a skewed perspective of how of how wonderful Egypt was. Isn't it amazing uh, that when we get into challenges and situations that we will magnify the good things about the past while forgetting the horrible things of the past? We'll magnify, well, we had three square meals a day. They didn't say a word about the taskmasters. Didn't say a word about the whips being Drug across their backs. Didn't say a word about uh, being given a command to make bricks without straw. Forget Pharaoh. For, no, we had three square meals a day. I knew where. And ultimately, what they were highlighting of their past was their comfortability and the familiarity and the predictability. Because I can't predict the promised land, I can't predict the future. But I can predict my past. I may not have liked it, but I knew what was coming. Are you hearing me tonight? This is what we're talking about. Because we have this expectation that God just is obligated to take us into promised lands and to, to, to just unveil his blessings. And we have we, we have. We have a, a, a level of responsibility. You cannot take. Old thinking. Into new territories. And so in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is touching on this very same subject. We're talking thousands of years down the road from these Israelites, but the same problem. Taking old mindsets into new territories. And so he's addressing the uh, Pharisees of, the, of this day and age. And in Mark chapter 2, in verse uh, 21, let me catch you up, beginning with verse 18. Uh, the disciples of John and the disciples of the Pharisees 
were fasting. Fasting. Action. Outward. An outward action. Fasting. Sounds good, right? Even the Bible tells us that we ought to fast. And so they come to Jesus and say, why aren't your disciples fasting? I mean, you call yourself the son of God and, you know, this is what the book says. The law, that's what they kept going back to. The law says we should be fasting. Jesus says, well, you don't fast while the bridegroom is with you. But one day the the bridegroom will be taken away and, and then they will fast. And then he addresses the real heart of the issue. In verse 21, he says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. Verse 22. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the new wineskins are ruined. This is what he wraps it up with. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Repeat after me. Say, but new wine must be put into new wineskins. How many times is the word new in that statement that we just said? It's not a trick question. There's two. There's there's two. I see the same thing you see. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. In the English, it's the same word, new. But in the Greek... It's not the same word. The first word, new, is the word, let me make sure I got it right, nihas. Greek word, nihas. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I could be totally mispronouncing that. I mean, it looks N-E-H-O-S, sounds good to me. Nihas. But the second new, in in the same sentence, is kahinas, kahinas, K-A-H-E-N-O-S. They're not the same word. The first new means new, fresh. It means brand new. The first new, but new wine, brand new, must be put into not new, This Greek word means renewed wineskins. Renewed. Re means I'm going back to something. Re means to do again. Like renew, rediscover, reborn, regenerate. Re means we're repeating something. Thus, the re at the beginning of repeat. So we're taking new wine, new revelations, new things that God wants to show us, new lands, new territories, new promises, new blessings. But we're trying to stuff it into old wineskins. Now, I don't need a new wineskin. I need a renewed wineskin. I need a renewed wineskin. That means I've got to go back 
to the original design or the original intent. The things that God wants to show me in my future, he's already revealed to me in my past in some shape or some way, shape or form. So he's not addressing the wine. He's addressing the container that we put the wine in. What are you containing? What are we trying to contain God's promises inside of? Old stuff? Like old, old mentalities? Slavery mentalities? That's why the, this is why the Israelites could not enter in to the promised land. Those that came out of Egypt. He had to get a whole new group of people. Not even Moses could. We read that passage a few weeks ago that Moses couldn't even enter in because he got stuck in an old way of doing things. God gave him the same assignment, but told him to do it differently. The first time he was allowed to strike the rock and the water came out. The second time he said, speak to the rock, take the staff, but speak to the rock. Why did he tell him to take the staff? Because that, that, that's the staff that God gave him, right? God gave him that staff when the, at the burning bush. But God was trying to show him, are you just trusting in your old way of doing things? Or are you going to trust in my new way of doing things? So we, we don't miss out on the new wine. We, we, we miss out on the new wine because we have the wrong container. He's saying that he's not going. What's the the issue that he's addressing here with the Pharisees? I'm trying to do a new work, Jesus is saying. But you're stuck in an old wineskin, pharisaical law. And and their interpretations of the law were even incorrect. He goes on past that. And and they they catch the disciples uh, uh, grabbing grain right out of the field and eating it without washing their hands. That was a pharisaical interpretation. It wasn't even what the word said. They weren't breaking a command. They weren't breaking a law. They were breaking their way of doing things. And many times we miss out on God, not because of God's way of doing things, but because of our way of doing things. And when our way of doing things contends with God's way of doing things, we will miss out on the promise. What are you willing to compromise to do it your way? What are we willing to compromise to have our preference? What are we, what is the price you pay? To get your way. That's tweetable. There's a price you pay. Even when the way you do it may even get results initially. But they're not sustainable. I could yell at my son and I have just to be transparent and I can get my way. I can get him to do whatever I want him to do. It's not that's not the result. The problem is the price that I pay is my relationship with him and the fear that's embedded in him. Now, when a voice is raised, he only responds to. It costs you. I can get the result. I can get the job done, but it will compromise something. It will compromise something in your future to have it your way today. And this is what Jesus is addressing. And, 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 and I'm connecting this with Joshua because, because there's a Jericho coming up. All of us have a Jericho. 
All of us have a promise contained inside of a, 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 a wall that is designed to keep you out. All of us have something that God is trying to move us toward, but it's not just going in and just easy pickings. You're going to have to obey. You're going to have to listen. You're going to have to respond. Many of us just react. We don't respond. There's a difference. Response is premeditated. Reaction is spontaneous. So I can react spontaneously or I can respond with a premeditated response. This is what I'm going to do when this thing happens. This is what I'm going to do when the doctor tells me that I've got six weeks to live. This is what I'm going to do when, when the bank account says this is what you have. This is what I'm going to do when the challenge comes and it seems like there's no way out. This is what I'm going to do when my, my spouse doesn't respond favorably to me. This is what I'm going to do when the boss comes in and says, no, we got to let you go. There's nothing we can do. You can choose your response today or you can react in your response when it happens. It's reaction versus response. And so we're, we're seeing how our old way of doing things will keep us from God's way of doing things. But the, what God is trying to get us to contain his promises in is not something new that we haven't seen. The promise is, but the container is something he's already revealed to us. That's why, that's why God told Joshua... Hearken unto the voice of the Lord. Do unto the command that I gave to who? Your servant Moses. The thing I told Moses is still good here. The thing that I told your parents, it's still good for you. The blessing that I gave to Abraham thousands of years ago, but you've got to renew yourself. Where have we heard that before? Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We've got new wine, but we don't need new wineskins. That's what the English says. No, the Bible tells me I need renewed wineskins. That's what the Greek says. That's what it was supposed to say. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I don't know about you, but I want to I make sure I get the right container. Because, because Paul and, and Peter, they, they warned that we would fish for something new and we would get it. Ears tickled with new. I need a new word. I need a new box. I need a, I need a new method. No, we need a renewed. Church, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of pastors and I, and I, I, I see... I hear from a lot of pastors and even with uh, having Reverend Tony Cook in this past week, I had a lot of conversation with him because he sees a lot of churches, not just here in the United States, around the world. And, and I asked him two questions. What are some of the greatest things that you're seeing taking place in the church? Common denominator. Uh, you know, give, me, give me one thing that you're just seeing happen across churches. And then what, is, what are some of the greatest challenges that you're seeing churches? I, I want to know. What, what, what's going on? What's the, what's the barometer look like? Because here I am in my little Valdosta bubble, Anchor Faith Church bubble. And we can get so squeezed into that that we have no perspective of what anybody else deals with. On Saturday, we, we had a, uh, 
a, a district meeting with pastors right here in this room with several pastors from the area, even from North Florida, came up uh, and Reverend Tony Cook was ministering to them. And I had a friend of mine in from Columbus, Georgia, a black pastor. Fabian. And I went to Starbucks with him afterwards for three hours. He drove three hours here, so I thought I'd make it worthwhile his time. And so I hung out with him at Starbucks for three hours. And it was so incredible to get his perspective of racial tension in the world and in the church. It was amazing. Stuff that I would never even, I mean, I couldn't even fathom it. Not necessarily bad things, just perspective. Just seeing it from somebody else's angle. It was incredible. As a pastor, his, his perspectives. And so what I'm saying is, is, is in the church, we're, we're always, there, there's searching and, and there's grabbing and there's, you know, new methods and new way of doing things. And usually the furthest we ever go is social media to determine what we should be doing. And we see somebody that's got status or success or filled pews or, or large buildings and we think that must be the way to do it. But God's not looking for a people that will search for the new. He's looking for people that will search for the renewed. And there are some things in the church today we've got to get back to. Not create a new way of doing something, but get back to the way it used to be. And I'm not talking about the 70s and the 60s and the 50s and the 40s. I'm talking about the way it was here, Pentecost, what it looked like in the Bible and what it looked like in the 1700s and the 1800s with Wesleyan preachers getting up and preaching, uh, uh, calling people into repentance and calling people into the kingdom, uh, preaching so boldly and so powerfully. The George Whitfields and the John G. Lakes and the John Wesleys and the Smith Wigglesworth. I mean, there are some things we've got to get back to. So there's a tension. We're, we're going towards new promises. But I've got to get back to a renewed container. There's a tension here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We've seen this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. The opposite of conforming to the world is renewing my mind. The world is not renewing their mind. The world is trying to think of the next latest, greatest thing. They are throwing away the old container and going after a new container. And God is saying, I'm looking for a people that will throw away the old container and go back and renew the container. You become transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, we, we're in a day and age where if it's already happened, it's irrelevant. You hear me? We're in a day and age where if it's already taken place, that's old news. You're not impressing anybody. But I got a thing. I got something to tell you. God is impressed by people that will stick with what he has spoken and stay with what he has said. In spite of everybody chasing down the next thing, he's wanting people to stay with his thing. I don't need a new way to look at the word. 
God has given me his word and it is the same yesterday, today and forever. It will never become irrelevant. Don't let the world tell you that there are certain messages that you just can't preach or teach or talk about anymore. That is garbage. If it's in the Bible, it should be preached. It should be taught and it should be changing people's lives. And it can. It can. Trying to inherit new promises. See, we always thought the danger was the old, right? The old wineskins. I don't want to do the old. I don't want to do the old. But see, people have confused old with renewed. People have confused old with renewed. It may be old. But if you actually look up that word renewed, kahinos, you know what's in its definition as well? Fresh. Fresh. Still fresh. The oldest book on the planet. The oldest concept to mankind, it is still fresh. It is still powerful. It will still discern between soul and spirit. It will still divide. It will still identify. It is still the mirror that I can look in and I can see if I'm right or if I'm wrong. It is still the foundation that I can build my life upon. It still is the solid rock upon which I stand. All other ground is sinking. It is still what I can put my faith in and it will never deteriorate. It will never go away. It will never lose its value it will never lose its power it's fresh not old old isn't fresh but God's word has a timeless effect and a timeless way of being grounded and consistent and stable but yet fresh to our thinking that I can look at the same scripture like I just read in Mark chapter 2 and find something completely different that I'd never seen before. And I can preach a completely different message even though I may have used Mark chapter 2 in some time in the last seven years and I'm sure that I have. That's the word of God. A renewed mind. Don't confuse old with renewed. Don't confuse the fact that it's been around for a long time or I've heard that before. Don't allow that to limit you from renewing yourself to it so that we can see it happen again. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We keep on going right along. New wineskins, or new wine in renewed wineskins. See, the, the Pharisees had old, old, ineffective, useless wineskins. Pharisaical laws and legalism. Because they had actions without heart. Anytime you have actions without heart, you are religious. That's the, that is the simplest definition of religion I can give you. Actions with no intent. Action with no proper motivation. Action with no heart behind it. Just a bunch of exterior, but a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, you are dead and 
empty on the inside. That's religion. That's what the Pharisees had. We taught last year at the beginning of the year, 2017, January 2017, we introduced the message of equipping. And any time we do not apply or put into practice what we know, because, because knowledge puffs up and knowledge makes prideful and knowledge makes haughty and boastful, but if we don't put it into practice, we become a Pharisee. You are a Pharisee. Knowledge that is not put into practice. Knowing how I should treat my spouse, but I I choose not to. Knowing uh, how I should operate in this relationship, but I don't. Knowing what I should be doing with my finances to honor God, but I don't do that. Knowing how I should be putting God first, but I that is Pharisaical. To the point that you become puffed up and you want to tell other people how to do something. It's a Pharisee. You can't even see your own hurt and can't even see your own bondage. Just like this individual in Mark chapter 3 verse 1. And he entered the synagogue again, Jesus, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And so they watched him closely. That's the Pharisee. Watching other people. They watched him closely. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might what? Praise him and worship him? No, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. He's not even addressing the Pharisees at this point. He's talking directly to the withered. The man with the withered hand is just, he's just there. This is what you do. You go to the synagogue. This man probably went there all the time. Because you don't just get up and decide to go to a synagogue. You, you go because that's, that, that's what you're supposed to do. So these Pharisees, had seen this man with the withered hand plenty of times. And now they know Jesus is on the scene. Something might happen. So he said to the man with the withered hand, step forward. And he said to them, is it what? Lawful. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? He's trying to get down on their level. Because you want to accuse me based upon what the law states, not because of what God states. Because God came to deliver. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring liberty to the captives, to set free those that are in bondage, to, to, to restore blind, to restore sight to the blind. So is it lawful? That's his question. But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out immediately, plotted with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. What's so interesting about that is that the the Pharisees and the Herodians were in conflict. They didn't support one another. But it's amazing. It's not just goodness that unifies. Evil can unify too. Evil can gather a crowd. And evil can say, you need to come be a part of this. I mean, even the devil knows that a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Not not even the devil tolerates division in his camp. 
You've got to be on his side. You've got to uh, agree with him and support him and, and, and participate with him. It's interesting that the man's hand is really a picture of the Pharisees' hearts. Withered. Dead. Ineffective. Useless. What do you do with a withered heart? You stretch it out. What do you do with, what did he say do with the withered hand? Stretch forth your hand. You gotta, you've got to stretch it out. You've got to reveal where the hurt and where the pain is. You've got to reveal where you're stuck in, in an old way of thinking because we cannot inhabit new promises with old thinking, dead thinking, ineffective thinking. This is where God is trying to do a work, not just on the outside, but on the inside. Even in the presence of miracles, they're plotting to kill him. Even in the presence of seeing someone set free. I mean, even if it was lawful that he's not supposed to do a miracle on the Sabbath, at least the man got healed. Man, I don't agree with it, but that's, that's pretty awesome. This man's been coming here for a long time, and I've seen him with that hand, and you set him free. That is incredible. Couldn't even side or support him on that statement. Because God is trying to do a work, not just on the outside. He's trying to do a work on the inside. That's why even in the presence of miracles, miracles don't automatically move people to freedom. Miracles don't automatically move people to get set free where it really matters. Where it really matters. We can see blind eyes open. We can see uh, deaf ears. I, I, I mean, I, I've heard people, man, you know, if, if, if we could see that happen, I mean, people would be in this church, you know, they, they'd be flocking. Really? Would they be like the multitudes that just showed up to see a sign? But then when it really came down to the stuff like, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you cannot follow me. Whoa, this took a dark turn. We are out of here. We were with you on the miracles and when you were handing out, you know, uh, you know, fish baskets and stuff. But dude, this this eating your flesh and drinking your blood stuff. We are. Dude, he lost disciples off of that one. I mean, not just people that were on the outskirts, like I'm just trying to see. There were people that were committed to his cause until he said that statement. Because it's not the miracle that sets you free. It's not the miracle. We can get set free externally and still be stuck and miserable and in bondage internally. Because we haven't renewed the wineskin. We haven't taken the time. To look at the container. You know, that, that's, the, the container is just as important as what's inside of it. I remember when Pastor Earl in 2009 started preaching the kingdom message. June of 2009. And there was a part of me that was like, yeah, this is it. This is it. This is right. This is what's been missing. But then... I started filtering the new wine 
in my old wineskins. In my, my word of faith wineskins, in my Rama wineskins, in my Pentecostal wineskins, in my parents' wineskins, in my old pastor's wineskins, in my knowledge wineskins. And I struggled for about three months. June, July, and August of 2009 were miserable because I wanted to believe this message, but it wasn't filtering right. And he gave us the books to read, and I'm reading them, and I'm just like, I mean, I was slamming them down like I'm just, I'm done with this. I, you know, can't believe I'm, what's the, what, you know, what, what, what am I missing? I couldn't put my finger on it. And then in September of 2009, I went and heard a pastor by the name of Ron Carpenter Jr. He came to St. Augustine, Florida, and he ministered the same message, the kingdom message. But he prefaced it with Mark chapter 2. And that moment the light came on. I said, I'm trying to take new wine, a new word, something that God's trying to show me. And I'm filtering it through all my old stuff. He said this, the kingdom cannot be filtered. It is the filter. So then I had to start taking all my Rhema stuff and all my word of faith stuff and all my Pentecostal stuff and all my parents stuff and and all the stuff that I had heard and grown up with and believed and start filtering it through the kingdom. I was trying to take the kingdom and put it through all that. And it doesn't work that way. You can't put the wine. You can't put the wineskin through the wine. You've got to put the wine through the wineskin. What's the filter? What's the container that you're trying to embody all this in? It changed me forever. Now, all of a sudden, I saw how faith fits in the kingdom. I saw how prayer fits in the kingdom. And I saw how the Holy Spirit fits in the kingdom. And I saw how love fits in the kingdom. And, and I began to see, and it's what Pastor Earl wrote his book about, the forest. I was missing the forest for the trees. I was looking at the tree. I love my love tree. And here's my faith tree. Oh, I love faith, the message of faith. And my prayer tree. But when you zoom out, it's the kingdom of God. It's amazing what you do when you change the filter. It's amazing what, you'll, what will happen when you change the container. Guys, I'm telling you today, God has so much in store for us. He's got new wine that he wants to overflow you with, that he wants to abound you with. He wants to show you new ways, new levels. The best is yet to come. The Jerichos will be conquered and the the Ais will be conquered and the Philistines will be conquered and the Amalekites will be conquered. But but if we don't change our container, it'll just be a miracle. It'll just be what God did. But it doesn't really have the impact. I want to have a renewed container. Not searching for something new I've never seen before. I want to go back into God's word and say, okay, what is it that I need to filter this blessing in? What is it that you've spoken to me before, shown me before? Some of us need to go back to past prophecies, past words that have been spoken over you. Uh, some of you need, need to, go, past to, to, to uh, go back to things that God had shown you. That's why it's so good to write things down. Because you can go back and look. And if you put a date on it, Then you know exactly when he spoke it to you. And you can say, July 31st, 32nd. There's no July 32nd. 
I was going to say July 2nd. I wanted to move it up a little bit. July 32nd. That would have to be a word from the Lord because there's no July 32nd. No, he took me in a trance. He took me to the day, July 32nd. You've never been there. I've seen it. That's a word from God. Hallelujah.